Thank you, Lord, that there's just so much in this world that fails, lets us down, but your love endures forever. As your love endures forever, Father, we know that your word will as well. So, Father, I just pray that we would be people that would express your love through the giving of your word. And so, Father, once again, as we open up this book that examines life apart from you, show us the reality of you through that. And so, Father, we just thank you for bringing us here in this place tonight. Pray, Father, again, that you would bless us because we've come, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbors? Hi, Diana. Hi, Diana. Such outbursts. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. We'll be picking back up in verse 4. Um, I haven't made this announcement before because I've recently decided, but we are not going to be having evening service two weeks from tonight. We will be having it next week, but on the Sunday of uh, Thanksgiving weekend, we'll not be having a Sunday evening service. So make note of that. We will remind you of that. Got to remember to tell Paul that because we'll have a worship team here. Be very, very lonely. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We did our introduction last week. We looked at the first three verses. Tonight we'll go to the end of the chapter. I'll just start reading at verse 1. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word and we'll go through. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? And again, there's a question asked, and when the question is asked in the scripture, the vast majority of the time, the answer is to the negative. And so the idea here is that, well, he has no profit from all of his labor. Verse 4. One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind twirls around continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from where the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I set my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven, this burdensome task which God has given to the sons of man, which they may be exercised or afflicted. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be numbered. I communed with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. 
My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is also grasping for the wind. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Father, we thank you that we have such a great advantage that we are not looking at these things apart from the Son, but we are looking at these things in the Son. That your Son, Lord, as you have sent him, it is to give meaning, to shine that light, not just, Father, upon your word, although that's the foundation, but, Lord, as we look at your word, we see the reality of all that is around us. And so, Father, we know that all we do, that our lives truly are not vanity, but the value has been added by the cross. And it's because of the cross that we go forth and be obedient to your call. And so, Father, once again, make these concepts that we see here in this Old Testament book real and new within our life today that we would see, Lord, just all of creation as you desire for us to see it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So a couple of things that we saw in last week's study. The first thing I pointed out already, verse 2, vanity and vanity. Everything's vanity. There's no substance to anything. Again, the preacher, more than likely, as we saw last week, King Solomon, it kind of lends towards the strength of it being Solomon because he had obtained so much, but he's realizing in obtaining all of these things and everything I got, there's absolutely no, there's no satisfaction in all of these things. And then in verse 3, what profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? Something else to be considered, especially at the end of a life. Everything that you have done, what really have you achieved? I mean, we give awards, lifetime achievement awards and all of these things, but what difference does it really make the things that man does? And really, the only value that I can place on what I do is what I see in somebody else. I mean, now we're looking at things in the, in the sight of Jesus Christ. The, the value that I have to offer and the value that I will leave behind is the value that I add to somebody else's life. It's what we had the opportunity to do yesterday when we had Duke's memorial. And even the memory of Duke, because again, it's our testimony that lives even after we are gone. We have an opportunity. Well, this place, we had every chair that we had out here, and they were all full. And so we had great opportunity. Touched the souls of some seven people or so that gave their lives to the Lord. There was value in that. Why? Because we saw the value in the family that was ministered to. We saw the value of, of lives that were touched, the testimonies and the life of this man. And we saw value in the people that gave their hearts to the Lord. There was value in service this morning. People that learned the word of God and came to a deeper understanding of it. Again, people that gave their hearts to Jesus. And as I pointed out this morning, it's not value so much in what I do. It's value in what we do. Everybody who supports this church Everybody who is a part of this church adds value to this church, and I know that you have because I have seen it in the lives of so many different people. So most of what the preacher says in this book, again, is to be looked at under the sun, at earth level, or apart from God. And then he's looking at these things. He's considering li life without the existence of God. Around 1100 A.D., the philosophies of Aristotle had become popular again. See, everything, and we should, it's what we'll see here, is pretty much cyclical. And so the prophecies, of, I'm sorry, philosophies of Aristotle had become something that was very popular at the time. The wisdom of God, it enjoyed a long stretch as the prevailing line of reason, but people, you know how they are, they get so tired, and again, apart from God, it's just going to be cyclical. 
but the philosophies of man were starting to creep back into society. It was then that the Lord used a man named Thomas Aquinas as an apologist to come up against this trend. And the way he approached his ministry was to teach the concepts of Aristotle, show that they would always lead to a dead end somehow as far as the needs of man, and then show how God has entered in for the purpose of showing man the meaning of life. So his idea was where the philosophies of man fall short, that's where the philosophies of God prevail. That's where light is shined upon that, that, that point of despair that man's philosophies will always bring him to. Because again, God has given death. God has given death so that we would search for life. And if you're looking at philosophies, meaning of life apart from God, you've got that huge roadblock or that cliff, that line of despair that I called it, and it's called death. And apart from God, you cannot make sense of death. But again, it's the foolishness of the cross. As our Savior died, we will die too. But as our Savior was risen from the dead, we will be raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul refers to Christ's resurrection as the first fruits. And the first fruits, you probably remember that term back in the Old Testament, that man was to give God the first fruits. And the idea is you give God the first fruits with the knowledge and the expectation of many more to come. You give the first fruits in faith. Well, Christ being the first fruits, he's the first fruits of many more who are going to be resurrected from the dead. And that's where our hope lies. It lies in what God is able to do and not in the philosophies of man or the abilities of man. And so we have this dynamic of the book of Ecclesiastes, as we saw last week, that He's going to look at so many different aspects of society. Here he's setting the standard that nothing changes. Now, I don't know as far as what Solomon or the preacher was thinking when he was writing these things. Remember, he's living in his day, and so he's probably thinking from the past up to his day, probably thinking of the future, but not considering. I don't know if he could consider some 1,800 years or whatever it was, but I look at these things and see the standard that is set, and we'll look through it here in verses 4 through to the end of the chapter, and say, yes, these are realities of today. Nothing ever really does vary from what it was back then. And so apart from God, again, there's this big cycle that goes on, and man kind of jumps on, goes around in circles until the day he dies. We must remember that the wisdom that Solomon possessed was not the wisdom of God, but wisdom given by God. But again, it was still made fallible by man's wisdom as well and that Solomon was anything but perfect and as we saw last week more than likely Ecclesiastes is a book that he had written at the end of his life as he's kind of setting back and saying, okay what have I accomplished in life not what have I been able to obtain although he does look at that in order to try and come to a conclusion of what he has accomplished but he's looking back what have I accomplished and he keeps coming to the same conclusion Vanity, vanities. What does it say a little bit later here? All these things, all this substance that I think I've accumulated, it's just like grasping for the wind. It's like grasping for nothing. And you think about it, what do you really own? What is it that you really own? The way I see it is the only things that I really, well, the things that I really do own will be made very clear in the day of death and the things that I can take with me. So this shirt, Sure, I don't really own it. I just have it for a period of time. I, I, I hope to outlive my shirt. Um, 
my house. I definitely don't really own my house or the land that it's on. It's been here thousands of years before I came upon the scene. And let's just say the Lord tarries. It'll be here for another thousand of years, and many people will live upon it. What is it do I really own? Not even really this body, because I don't take this body with me, although God will give it back to me. God really owns that. And so what is it that I own? Well, it, it's my soul. It's my spirit. And well, even my spirit, God made alive. I'm God's. I'm the Lord's. And, and, and when I come to that conclusion, there's a peace in that. There's a comfort in that. There should be a satisfaction in that. And that, well, what that really truly means is, well, apart from Christ, yeah, all is vanity. And the worst part of all being vanity is that I'm vanity. I'm nothing but a vapor. I'm nothing but, 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 but that emptiness of trying to grasp for the wind. But in Christ, there is substance to my being. And there's substance to our sharing. And there's substance to our fellowshipping. And there's substance for my marriage and my raising of children and all of these things. I remember somebody telling me he was an atheist. And I, I, I told him, okay, let's just say the day before you die, your child comes up to you who you truly love and says, you know, Dad, the day that you die, I don't see where life is worth living. No, I'm going to commit suicide. What could you possibly tell him? You believe, he just told me that, that when he dies, he ceases to exist. And so really the only, the only reason that he would have for his child really to be alive, because it would truly break his heart if he died, but once you're dead, what difference does it make? I mean, what, what meaning can you give to that child's life other than he gives you satisfaction? And then when he's gone, if that meaning is gone, then what reason does he have to go on living? There's consequences to ideas. We need to understand that as a people. The people that are out rioting, there's consequences to their ideas, to their actions. Not, and I don't want to get lost in the actions. I want to think of what's the basis for what they're doing. I mean, think of it. What are they rioting against? They say they're rioting against Trump, but in actuality, they're rioting against you and I. Or, well, I shouldn't say that. They're rioting against the people who voted for Donald Trump. And it's not even the people who voted for Donald Trump. They're rioting against the people who exercise their right to vote. Because it makes no sense whatsoever for anybody to riot against the results, or demonstrate, as they say, against the results of an election. That's completely vanity and grasping for the wind. And so Solomon, the preacher, having a lifetime of experiences and experiencing the excesses of life through the obtaining of all that the world has to offer and being able to discern all through the wisdom that God had given him, again, it constantly leads him to that point of despair, that point of not understanding. Again, he thought he was going to get it all. When he got it all, when he got it all, he actually got nothing. I remember this TV show, The Twilight Zone. Most of you know The Twilight Zone. I remember this one episode. It was this man. He was kind of a hood kind of a guy, not a very nice guy, and he's died. And he's gone to this place, and he's not sure if it's heaven or hell. And he's looking. Things are pretty good. And this angel comes. And the angel was uh, Mr. French from Family Affair, Shabaston Cabot. I don't even know how I know his name, but I just remember his name. And, and uh, he's leading him around and showing him. And, and the guy's saying, this is great. I've got everything I've ever wanted. And, and everything he did, everything, he succeeded at everything he did. If he would play a game of pool, every time he hit the ball, it would go in the pocket. And he just got everything he ever wanted. And after a while, he got sick and tired of just being able to snap his finger and get everything that he wanted. And he went and he told Mr. French, this was, was set to be an angel, he told this angel, you know what, if this is heaven, I'd rather go to hell. 
And he told the guy, Mr. French told the guy, what makes you think you're in heaven? And so that's kind of the conclusion that Solomon's coming to. And that's how we can be. We think we can foster heaven here on earth by getting things and stuff. If I only got a good paying job or a better paying job, then I can have it all. I'll be happy and I'll be content. If I only had that house, if I could only get that car, that boat, whatever it might be. I'm going golfing tomorrow. If I can only get a hole in one. But what happens when you get a hole in one? I imagine you're going to want to get another one and another one. It's all grasping for the wind. Because no matter what, you still got to get up. And, did your football team win this weekend? Uh, yeah, the Bears stink. Scott's happy, SC won. It doesn't matter, Pam, because you still, win or lose, you still got to get up for tomorrow. And you still have to move on with your life. If they won, whoever wins the championship or, you know, the World Series, the Cubs finally won. There you go. She's a Chicago fan. The Cubs finally won. Did it change one iota of your life? No, it was just vanity. It's just vanity and grasping for the wind. I'm sure somewhere somebody got mad and killed somebody because of it. Somebody probably burned a car because they, I don't know, when the people's teams win now, they even riot. So tonight's chapter, the preacher, when looking at society under the sun, he comes to three main conclusions that we're going to look at. First, verses 4 through 7, he comes to the conclusion that nothing really ever changes. Secondly, verses 8 through 11, if nothing changes, then nothing's new. And then thirdly, Verses 12 through 18, if nothing changes and nothing is new, then nothing is ever really understood. He's coming to these conclusions because we so think that we can change things for the better. Every election that we've ever had, the candidate has said he's going to, and we expect him to change things for the better. The problem is, I've read to the end of the Bible, things aren't going to get better. There's not a man alive who is going to be able to do that. Now, we vote according to the scriptures, and we want to see God bless the land once more. But other than that, we know that things are winding down. As far as nothing new, what else do I knew, need that's new other than Jesus Christ and him crucified? That being the case, apart from Christ, we're never going to gain any understanding. But the beauty of it is we've got all the understanding that we'll ever need right here, sitting on your lap in this, in this book that we call the Bible. And so the world, the world seeking after changes and newness and understanding they're going to come to the place where they realize it's all futility. It's all grasping for the wind. It's all vanity. We've already got it. We've already have these things. And for us, the question is, what are you going to do with these things? Matter of fact, the preacher, through his sharpened sense of wisdom that God has given him, he's thinking, well, the fool's better than I am. For in much wisdom, and I've got a lot of wisdom, but he says, as much grief. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow because he's wise enough to know that nothing's going to change. Wise enough to know that nothing's new and wise enough to know that never really going to have full understanding, you know, apart from God or, or under the sun. And, and, and this is very troubling to him. It'd be troubling to anybody. What is the wisdom of our day? What is the wisdom of man today gotten us? Evolution. But the problem with evolution, it's taught us that we have no purpose. We've evolved from some sort of single cell, I don't know if you call it an animal, whatever it is, descendants of monkey or a cosmic accident, and we conduct our lives as such. There's the absence of moral absolutes. They're no longer taught. We live in what's called a, a, a postmodern society. A postmodern society is a society that each individual will set his own standards, set his own morals. Now, there's going to be a conflict here. 
I'll take it to an extreme, but if your morals tell you not to murder, but his morals tell you it's, or tell him it's okay to murder. And so then you start having conflicts in a society, and instead of a society, really you have an anarchy. And we need to really realize what this nation is, what the United States of America truly is. Now, it's not absolute control. That's fascism. It's not absolute freedom. Again, that's anarchy. It's freedom under control. Freedom with moral absolutes. We did really well when the moral absolutes were taken from here. But now, what is man doing? He's trying to find something new, trying to gain understanding, trying to see how we can change things for the better. But the problem is we left that which gave us better, if you will. And now we're going according to man's will. Well, who gets to be the one to decide? And you hear that argument. You know, who do you think you are to tell me what is right? And you get all of that. Well, when we had a basis for it, everything, well, it made sense and we did well. Now we can't even define who a man and a woman is. We, we, we've lost that ability because you see the degree that we have gone in this postmodern society. <clears throat> Excuse me. As all man's wisdom, it's left us with no answers and in actuality, there is, under the sun, there, there is no hope. Again, we have the rioters that are going on today, the demonstrators are going on today, and you see in that, they're, they're grasping for what they believe that they need, but the problem is, if the one that they wanted in office got in office, they would soon find out that that was vanity as well. And so, we've got the philosophers of our day, Notice how when the industrial age, we became self-sufficient in that industrial age. You notice we're in the tech age. Now we've developed what we determine as a society, wisdom and knowledge and understanding through that, through the internet. Now you can go on the internet and you can see your house from outer space. You can go and you can learn all the trivia you ever wanted to know from the 60s, 40s and everything else. We've got a lot of useless information that's out there, not to throw it all out the bathwater, but Again, abilities, information. Notice how Charles Darwin, Sigmund Freud come in upon the, the scene in their philosophies. And what is the result of all of these things? We push God right out the door. Because before, where did that flower come, Mom? God created that flower. And, and, and look at the detail of that flower. And now where did that flower come? Well, if you plant a seed in the, and you can go through and you can give the whole scientific explanation but you can leave God out. Why is the sky blue? Because God has created the sky to be blue. Why is the sky blue? Well, let, and then you can go into a scientific explanation. We can go Google why the sky is blue. But the problem with all of that is it, it may give you even a right answer, but we're constantly pushing God out of the equation. The Christian teacher's job, mother or father, giving that answer to his child, son, daughter, grandchild, is to bring both explanations into the equation. It is God. There's no doubt about it. They need to know because this is how God created. We give them the scientific answer as well so that they can go and they can give not just the scientific answer but show how God created that scientific answer so that our child is able to compete, if you will, in the great debates of our time. So they'll be able to... The, the debates are good in this, in this particular context. We want debate. Debate opens the door for opportunity to share the gospel. The problem is, as a society, we've all pulled in. You believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. And in actuality, if you don't believe what I believe, you're an idiot, and I don't really want to hear what you have to say anyway. 
You know, it's a mindset that goes on out there as you listen to talk shows that reduce are reduced constantly into shouting matches and, and name-calling and all. There's no dialogue anymore. That was good. There's no debate anymore. That was good because we're to give a reason for the hope that is within us. But what happens when they don't want to hear the reason, when they don't care about the reason for the hope that is within us? What they're doing is effectively shutting the gospel off and shutting God out of their life. So first observation that the preacher makes is nothing ever changes. And what he does is he looks at creation and he comes to that conclusion. He didn't have the radio, the internet, or TV, and so he's looking at reality. Verse 4, <clears throat> one generation passes away and another, another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes towards the south and turns around to the north. The wind twirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full to the place from which the rivers come. There they return again. We've experienced this. I, I was thinking about this yesterday, knowing I was teaching this study tonight, but I sat back there on one of the benches as I was, you know, during the funeral yesterday, and just thinking of Duke and... He's gone, and then seeing Duke's daughter-in-law sitting there getting ready to deliver a baby. And again, how long has this been going on? For all the time of humanity. One person passes away, another one is about ready to give birth. And here's a new child upon the scene. I just experienced the birth of, of a grandchild. My mom, I'm going over to her house tomorrow night. She's 81. She's getting older and older, and one day, Lord willing, she'll pass away, and but we'll continue to move on, and the future generations will continue to go. And you see, this is a constant. So it's as if the preacher, now, rather than ignoring these things that we so easily do, I mean, have you ever looked at, I, I've done this before, have you ever looked at the obituaries? In, in the, I don't know how we see them anymore, because most people don't get newspapers. But if you look at the obituaries and the announcements of people who have died, I remember picking them up one time and thinking, this is a real person. This is a person that experienced, you know, just a lifetime of experiences, thoughts, and whatever it might be. You know, and you read through in these lives, some of these people were older, and some of them were younger, some of them accident, sickness, whatever it might be. But through, they just went through the events of a life, a lifetime. And it's as if the preacher is just kind of strolling through the city, and all of a sudden, maybe he notices something that he's seen before, but never really paid attention. Looking into, now I know you didn't have churches back in Solomon just looking and well here's a funeral possession there's a life and that life for whatever reason it came to conclusion in their society probably that day or the day before they buried them right away and then going on and they're just hearing it's a boy or it's a girl and it's, well here's a new life coming into the world nothing nothing really changes birth and deaths are constants that we see at the beginning of the bible and all throughout the scriptures and even into our lives today and as this is a reality of life, we see it going on and on and on. What's the meaning of that? Again, we're looking at, he's looking at things under the sun at earth level. What's the mean? What difference does it make if somebody died? He's just replaced with somebody who was born. And one day that person's going to be dead and somebody else will be born. And what's the meaning of all these lives, of all these souls that come into the, into the world? This little baby looking into the eyes. I haven't met him personally yet, but Christopher Michael, my newest grandson, looking at, what, what's, what's the purpose of this child? Now, looking at things in, in the sight of God, God, God's got reason and purpose for that life. We don't know it 
yet, but he will. God's got reason and purpose for my life. God's got reason and purpose for your life. But without that, what difference does it make? And if somebody after service comes up to me and says, I'm going to commit suicide tomorrow, especially if I don't really you know, know you very well, you know, apart from God, what difference does it really make? Well, that's entered into our society. Euthanasia is becoming a reality in our society. Assi- they call it assisted death because that's a lot nicer in a polite society. But why not? Why not? There's no God in, in their being, so why not have assisted death? It, it, it makes sense. Why should somebody continue to suffer? If there's no God, why not just snuff it out? Abortion. Why have a baby that nobody really wants? I mean, again, looking at things, keep in mind, apart from God, don't get me wrong, but looking at things under the sun, if there was no God, what difference does it really make? Makes sense to me. You're going to save a lot of money. You'll be able to make your situation, you'll find out it's vanity, but your situation better anyway. And so again, looking at things apart from God, death of a person, it, it makes sense. To terminate a birth, makes sense. Why bring another one in? And so you look at these things, and you see, man, from God, things are really bad. Job, for a period of his hardship, he lost focus on God. And he kind of came to a similar conclusion in Job chapter 3, really the whole chapter, but I'm not going to read the whole chapter. But Job chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Why did I not die at birth? You've probably felt that way, going through a heart, you know, why did God even bring me into this world? You know, when you go through a time of deep distress. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me, or why the breast that I should nurse? For now I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep, then I would have been at rest. And what he's saying is, why wasn't I just stillborn? And yeah, I still exist, but I didn't have to go through all of that I have to go through. I don't have to go through all of this hardship. Well, again, Job, for a period of time, because of the hardship that he was experiencing, He lost focus of God. And when you lose focus of God, life doesn't really mean a whole lot, does it? Without God, it's more of an emotional thing thing than anything else, and we know we can always overcome emotions. In order to illustrate, the preacher uses basic elements of nature of God's creation, earth, wind, and water. And he observes how life seems to be, again, a series of cycles. We have four seasons, and we experience the cycles that are going on. Here in California, we kind of done away with autumn. It looks like we're going to go right from summer into winter, but you see the the changing of the seasons. I look, and I see the leaves starting to fall and and to go, and you just get that feeling of winter. Then there's the cold, and here the rain when it does come uh, of winter. But then spring starts coming, and there's new life, and we just go through these cycles, and We go through cycles within our lifetime again. An infant lives 70 years, he dies, but then the next generations come on. We use phrases like life cycle, wheel of fortune, come full circle, and we devote our lives to making a future for ourselves. You know, this supermoon that we have right now comes about about every 70 years. It's on its cycle. the, The moon, I guess it's the biggest that it's going to be here on Earth as far as what we're able to see if you look at it this big bright spot. If you want to really see it in its largeness, get up at 3.30 this morning. It's supposed to be at its peak visual at 3.30 this morning. But again, every 70 years, so in 70 years from now, set your calendars, you can go out and you can see it again, Lord willing. And again, 
where do all these cycles lead to? Death. It always falls apart at the point of death. And again, it makes sense. Why could I care? Why should I care at all about a supermoon? Why should I care, Pastor Mike, if it's going to come in 70 years? I'm not going to be alive. And so I can pretty much guarantee you, you all be dead in 70 years if the Lord tarries. I know I will be. I'm looking forward to that day. Um, it just, again, simply makes no sense. Then we must consider how long must we live Verse again, consider this. How long will you live versus how long will you die? Ever thought about that? How long will you live? I don't know what the life expectancy is these days. Let's say 78. Last time I checked, that what I, that's what I was. You'll be alive for 78 years. How long are you going to be dead? Let me put it this way. How long will you be not here anymore? Eternity. Eternity. What, what is it that we're preparing for? What is it that we're constantly pouring into? This life. That is, again, as the preacher says, but a vapor, but as born-again believers, we're storing up tre treasures in heaven. It's what we need to be laying up for ourselves. It's for that future time that we're going to be spending eternity with God in heaven. And so what I need to be building up is my Christian life here on earth, and that's what storing up is. Ministering to my brothers and my sisters, glorifying God and, and preaching his word. And again, that, that, that adds meaning and that adds substance to our life. Apart from that, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. My dad, he, he's the closest relative that I've had that has, has died, and he died back in 1998, and it just seems so long ago, and it's not that I've forgotten him, but you just kind of put that beside you, and you kind of move on, and what meaning did that have life? Well, it had meaning to me, because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. I mean, I don't can't figure that one out, sit there, where, where would I have been, who would God have me be my parents and all that, I don't want to go there, but nonetheless, he's gone, he's gone, and you move on, but in, as far as a born-again believer, I know he's not, he's not here, but I know he still exists, and I know he's with the Lord, and there's a contentment in that, if not, again, we come to that line of despair, so which is it that you should be preparing for, life or death? I have no control over this life, but I can control in Christ my death. I can control where I'm going to be. God's given me that choice to make. I can control the crowns I'm able to receive. God's given me that choice to make. And so really, I've got more control over the time that I'm dead than the time that I'm alive. I do pray. I seek the Lord out in this life. But do you see where God has met us? He's met us at that point that everybody else considers to be despair, now God has opened it up, and he shined life on that which used to be so black through this cross that now has illuminated our whole future. And what that illumination has done is reflected off our time of death, our eternity with Christ, that passage, and it's reflected into this life that now makes sense in this life, and I can have understanding in this life, regardless of how long my life is, that I know that God had meaning and purpose and you know what? If I'm going to have faith in God, then however long it is that he chooses to give me, then that should be good enough. And we should, well, we do rejoice in these things. We worship him because of it. It's changed our lives. And, and God has made this, this newness of life that is beyond comprehension. And these things the preacher realizes, life is temporary vanity, but death is eternal substance. James 4, 14, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? 
Is it even a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanishes away? And so we have the preacher's first conclusion here. Life apart from God, as we go through it, never really changes, and it's very monotonous. You acquire as many things and many life experiences as you can. You go on vacation after vacation, looking for something that's going to bring satisfaction, but you still have that same pain in your heart, knowing you got to go back to work on the next day after your vacation. And really what you do is you come to the same conclusion. Apart from God, you come to the same conclusion as a three-year-old. You're standing in a room full of toys yelling, I'm bored, I'm bored. And I've never had a mansion and great riches, but I don't see a whole lot of satisfaction in the people that do. I see a lot of people that take those things for granted. They've worked hard to obtain them, but there was no substance They're standing as a three-year-old in a room who screams, full of toys, I'm bored, I'm bored, because they realized they came to the startling conclusion, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Again, Job, when he lost focus upon the Lord, God reintroduced himself to him. In Job 38, verses 1 through 3, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Prepare yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. God presented reason to Job, and it's through the reason that God presented to Job, displaying himself and the work of his hands, that Job was able to gain understanding and find contentment, even in the midst of his situation. And so the preacher, again, verse 4, one generation passes and another comes, but the earth abides forever probably out walking around looking at the sun. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. Every day of my life, the sun's come up and the sun's gone down. I fully expect, could be wrong, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. And they write a song about that. Anyway, and tomorrow night about 5 o'clock, more than likely, Lord willing, it's going to go down. So he's thinking about these things every day of his life. The wind goes towards the south and around to the north. The wind twirls around continually and comes again on its circuit. Santa Ana wind should be riling up here pretty soon. We'll have that windy season, and they'll blow from the east through to the west. And then another day, they're going to be blowing from the west to the east, and it just seems like they're going along on their circuit. Nothing ever really changes. Every once in a while, there'll be a cold one that comes from the north. Verse 7, all the rivers run into the sea, and yet the sea is not full to the place from which the rivers come where they return again. I don't know if he understood the concept of evaporation and and all, but he's just seeing the river never stops running. The sea never really gets full. It's just a continuous process. Nothing changes. But now, if you take it into God and you get your understanding from the Lord, if you look closely, God does peer into the affairs of man and even to his creation. He does place his hand into the flow of things from time to time. Matter of fact, I'd present to you the reason they do flow is by the will of God. But nonetheless, we know scripturally, he held the sun in his place so Joshua could finish an important battle. He moved the sun back so as a sign to King Hezekiah. He opened the Red Sea and the Jordan River for all of Israel. He turned the rain off and on for Elijah. He calmed the seas for the disciples. He will create a new heaven and a new earth for all of us. And in your life, he saved your soul and altered the course of your life, giving you meaning and purpose. And so Solomon, yeah, if you're looking at things superficially, you're never going to see the hand of God. 
But if you look closely, you'll see that God is involved in all of these things. And all of these things truly do happen for a reason. All things work together for the good. It's as if God's got this machine and it's firing on all cylinders. It's working in perfect unison. Ever think about your car? Not the exterior, but the interior. Every one of those pistons, let's just say you have a six-cylinder, every one of those pistons has to work together in perfect unity. And how long do you have a car? Let's just say you have it for 100,000 miles. Most cars last that long easily, and most of them don't need a whole lot of maintenance. And so it's going to hit on all cylinders for all that time. You probably never think about it. You turn it on if it starts, you don't think about it whatsoever. But the valves opening and closing, the fuel injection, and all of these things that all have to work together, that all have to work perfect, and in time, they do, and you just go about your life just thinking, well, you don't think about anything. You're just thinking about your destination. Well, just think of everything that is necessary to be able to sustain life. It's not just happening by accident. The hand of God is upon all. Why? Because he provides for his children. Now, there are others who are, the unbelievers are able to take of that provision as well but you just see the goodness of God and all of that secondly the second observation is nothing ever really changes then nothing is ever really new verses 8 through 11 all things are full of labor man can uh, man can express it the eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing that which has been is what will be and that which is done is what will be done and there is nothing new under the sun is there anything of which it may be said? See, this is new. It's already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things to come by those who will come after. Walk up to somebody you haven't seen in a while. They'll lend testimony to this. Hey, what's new? Nothing. Nothing's new. No, nothing, nothing. Nothing's been going on. Nothing really... Nothing really new. Well, they're philosophers. They're, they're, they're right. They're, there's nothing really new. Now, again, you can look at the advances that we have been able to be made in the machine age, uh, industrial age, and, and the technological age, and we've made these advancements. We're able to go to the moon. They're talking about going to Mars. But does that matter when it comes to the human condition? Because, again, these are events of our lives. How has it affected you that Mr. Armstrong made that giant step for mankind, or no, what was it, a step for man, a giant leap for mankind, whatever it was. How is that affecting you? Now, I know the technology that has come about from that, but all in all, life is still hard. Life is still difficult. You're still going to die one day. I haven't been able to change that. Has society, 1969 that occurred, I think it was like May, somewhere around there, 1969, have things gotten better or have things gotten worse? We've had so many advancements, but man, has racism gone away? Racism seems to be at an all-time worse today. Has the economy really gotten better? We're working a lot more hours for a lot less money. Tell me how things have gotten better. Now, we probably have made ourselves more comfortable in our predicament, but things have not gotten better. And again, I've read to the end of the book. They don't. There's nothing that's ever really new. I remember as many years ago, this was illustrated in my son. We were sitting at the dinner table. I don't know how old he was. He was a very young child. Let, let's say he was probably about six or seven. He had just had started school not too long before. And he's sitting there eating dinner. He goes, oh, Dad, Dad. And I go, yeah. I know what, Sean? He goes, guess what? What, Sean? 
that's what. <laughs> he thought it was the funniest thing in the world. Like, he just came up with that. It was something new that I've never heard in my life. Guess what, Dad? That's what. They're like, okay. Dad, Dad, what? Guess what? What, Sean? That's what. He just starts laughing. I remember doing that to my dad probably some 30 years before that fact. My dad told me to shut up and eat my dinner. So I told Sean, shut up and eat your dinner. Why should I break the chain? There's nothing really new. These jokes that were jokes before and they weren't all that funny before continue to be jokes that day. Well, you know, it's interesting, though, in watching our kids, watching the kids and just seeing them experience things for the, for the first time. Now, there are things that you experience. There's nothing new here, although it is new to them. I remember my son was, got a radio from somewhere, and at night he'd go to bed and he'd listen to the radio. I went, what is he listening to in there? Because he'd start laughing. And I went in there, and he was listening. I don't remember the radio station. I just don't remember. He was listening to the Jack Benny show. He goes, this is great, Dad. Have you ever heard of this before? <laughs> the Jack Benny Show. And there's just nothing new under the sun. There, there really isn't anything new under the sun. It's because of the monotony of nothing new that we tire very quickly and easily, and we seek newness all the time, especially this day in relationships, marriages. The the ability to maintain a marriage is something very unique in our society today. We're constantly wanting to change our surroundings. Now, nothing's wrong with changing our surroundings, but if it's under the sun, apart from God, and you're looking for fulfillment or contentment, it's not a good thing. Constantly going from job to job, trying to find that perfect job, and it's just never going to happen. That's why we always see constantly, what's the best way to sell a product? It's new and improved. It's different, it's better, it's new, and it's improved. I mean, have you ever bought something and said, this is new and improved? It seemed like the same old thing to me, just marketed in a different way in order to try and, well, try and fulfill that inner need that we have for newness in something that is, is better. Uh, it was a beer commercial, I think from the 60s, grab for all the gusto you can. Why? Because you live in a monotonous, boring life. At some point, you've got to grab for something new, and we're providing a product that will enable you to do so, although it's just simply going to bring you to the edge of despair. Do you remember what Coke was? It was the real thing. See, we're looking for something, and Coke's got the real thing. And then, ultimately, now the ultimate in something new, something better, you're a computer. The day you buy your computer, it becomes obsolete, and they're coming out with something new, better, and faster. How many computers have you bought in a lifetime? You don't buy a computer and think, okay, I got a computer, I don't have to deal with that anymore. It's always kind, you know, upgrading it and all. And then they come up with us, Apple. That's the genius of Apple. Apple's come up with a smartphone, and where are we at now? We're at the Apple 7, and you got to have it. I, I know that because I'm thinking, I, what do I need then to but it kind of would be nice to have, you know, kind of got a cool camera thing and all. And then next year they're supposed to come out with the anniversary, 10th anniversary one, so that one's going to be really special. And so we'll spend $600 for a new phone that we don't really need because the old one was good and it did what we needed to do. But again, there's just that, it's how we are. And there's that lack of contentment. And it doesn't mean that a Christian's not a Christian because I'm not saying that, but look at the world. The world takes that and into the events of the, 
critical relationships within their lives. And all of a sudden, people, relationships, events, and all this stuff become disposable because we'll throw it away looking for the new and improved. It's the, it's the genius of the entertainment industry. For a couple of hours, I can become somebody who's new. I can become that character up on the screen. Develop a relationship with that character. What's the big thing now where everybody's defeated, working more hours, less money? I can become a superhero now. And what are they doing? They're regurgitating the comic book heroes from the past. They're just putting it into a current media. And again, people are drawing, you know, you see people walking the streets and, you know, they have these, um, not conferences, but whatever they might be, where they gather together at some big arena and they all dress like their favorite superhero. It's like, what's that? Yeah. And it's like, you want to slap? Get a dose of reality here. You're not Captain America or whoever else it might be this time. And, well, you got even the weekend warrior, you know, will go out and become a hero on the sport field for just a, a, a short period of time. We'll leave that experience with a charge, but it soon it changes into vanity and there's nothing new. That's what human philosophy had regressed to during Apostle Paul's time in Acts chapter 17. It says in verse 21, For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. Man's wisdom was running out, but what was coming in? The wisdom of God in the gospel. He brings man to the point of despair, but then it's God who adds meaning. And then lastly, if nothing changes, then nothing is new. Then nothing, then under the sun, nothing will ever really be completely understood. We'll never have complete understanding in anything. And again, the preacher comes to that, that conclusion. Verse 12, I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. Now, if this is Solomon, he was king over the apex of their existence. They were the most powerful, glorious, richest nation in the world. Verse 13, and I set my heart to seek and to search out wisdom concerning all that is done under the heavens, this burdensome task which God has given the sons of man but which they, by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. He says, I've gone through and I've experienced things and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. There's no real substance here. There's no real substance and it's like Solomon is almost demanding for there to be and he can't even foster it. He can't even cause it to rise up. He keeps seeing the emptiness. Now this wisdom that he's obtained from God all of a sudden, now it's because of his flesh, it's become a curse to him. It's almost better if I was a common man, these people that just get up, till their fields all day long, and he's going to speak about this in a little bit later, but they work hard all day. They've got a family. They eat together. They go to bed, and there's a contentment there, and they sleep very well. I'm pondering all these things and I can't even sleep at night. And so all of this understanding and all of this wisdom, it's become a curse to them. All this information that we constantly are deluged with in our TVs and over the internet, I have to believe it's become kind of a curse to us more than it's really been a blessing. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. Indeed, all is vanity and grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be numbered. Verse 16, I communed with my heart. I became honest with myself saying, look, I've obtained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge and I have set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. 
And I perceived that this, everything Solomon is saying, everything that I've been able to do is just grasping at the wind. And what he's saying is, all of these, this greatness, see, I've obtained as no other man has obtained, it's empty. It's empty. Every, there, there's not a man here in his kingdom more than likely, and not a person you know, in our society that wouldn't want, that wouldn't kill to have everything that he has. There was a survey done. I, I, I would have looked it up if I would have thought about it. But what would you do for a million dollars? And there was a high percentage of women who would prostitute themselves. There was a high percentage of people that would murder somebody else for a million dollars. And if that was able to happen, how, how could you live with yourself? You know, look at the lottery and look at the curse that the lottery becomes. You can look that up as well. And you see that these lives were changed and altered, but none of them for the better. Matter of fact, a lot of them, it just brought death and destruction into their families and into their lives. Verse 17, And I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I perceive this is also grasping for the wind. Verse 18 is this horrible conclusion, although we know at the end of the chapter he does come to the right one. For in what much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. What do we live in the age? We live in the age of knowledge. And unfortunately, sorrow has increased to such a degree that it is a curse upon our land. There's no contentment. There's nobody that has a contentment in their life apart from God. And as we see our society, it's to be pitied. It's to be pitied. But if it's truly to be pitied, then that should be a motivation for us. That yes, it is not about all of this. It's about Jesus Christ and what Christ has done in our life. That should be our motivation. That should push us forward. Man's wisdom every time will lead to despair, but the wisdom of God leads to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we can have a day such as we had yesterday for Duke's funeral, Duke's memorial service, and it can be a time of rejoicing and a time of remembrance and a time of goodness. Even though it was sad and hearts were breaking, nonetheless, we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We rejoice in the day of one's birth, we rejoice in the day of one's death because Christ has met us in the midst of all. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, that you have added meaning and purpose to all, Father, that we see, all that we experience. And so, Father, I pray that we would give our all for you. And so, Lord, we just thank you for this evening. I pray, Father, for, Lord, just the events of this weekend. And, Lord, just how you used us. I pray for the lives of people who gave their hearts to you, that you would bless them. And I pray, Father, that they would follow hard after you. I pray for Tanner and Rebecca and Duke's family, Lord, that you would minister to them in the midst of their mourning. I pray for Tanner's child, Lord, that it would be born healthy and strong. And, Father, just pray that this family, again, would be that which gives you glory throughout all that they do. And I pray, Father, for just the people who have come out tonight, Lord. I pray that you would go before us. I pray that you would bless us in this week to come. I selfishly ask for your blessings upon my wife as she travels this Tuesday. Just bring her home safe to our home, Lord. And so, Father, we just thank you for your graciousness upon us, that, Lord, we would be wise stewards, and that, Father, we would be forever faithful, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? Just a couple of things.